I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. I am loving. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello everybody and welcome to the Glacé Film Club. We've got another great film review for you today. And guess what? We've got a special guest back for you. He's very special because he's been on a lot of the Glacé Film Club reviews. Back in the day when we were churning them out, he was there in our little studio in Chester giving you all his insights on the films that I was ranting about. But now we've got a great remote setup going. We're going to churn out even more podcasts for you and we've got a big film to start off with. So it is, you've guessed it, Callum is back for a good chat. Hello Callum, thank you for joining me on this lovely remote setup we've got going on. Hello Marcus, How, how how's things? Very good, very good. Well, I'm excited to have you fully back in the game. We've been doing some nice um, live ones on Facebook, haven't we? Which has been enjoyable, but there's nothing like getting those microphones out and getting those pre-recorded ones where we know that if we mess up, we can delete what we said and all is fine in the world again. It's handy for us because we, we tend to talk quite a lot, so it's good to pre-record and then edit out the the, the, the sound of what, what should really be a sound of silence, to be honest. Exactly, and I don't have the fear of me trying to overcomplicate the technical elements of myself of messing around with about five different laptops doing a live stream. But we've got a nice... That doesn't mean that we've uh, cheaped out on the tech. We've got our lovely microphone setups going here. We've got our Skype call on. Luckily, nobody's going to see that. We're just taking the audio. But um, I'm excited to dive in. So without further ado, let's talk about the film Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading, a film by the Coen brothers, some of the biggest directors of our time, released in 2008. So a relatively recent one, but not too recent. And as we were saying off uh, off mic, it's not even off camera now, we're not doing the live one, off mic, it feels very much of that time, but we will dive into that as we get into the chat. Straight away, big hitters in there, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, there's a lot of other big actors in there, I'm not going to rattle them all off now, but there's a big cast, as you'd expect from the Coen Brothers, and it's got a very Coen Brother-esque vibe to the story. So Callum, would you mind giving the listeners a quick synopsis overview of Burn After Reading? I will indeed. So, Burn After Reading, an American comedy, uh, directed, as Marcus said, written and directed by the Coen brothers. Um, John Malkovich plays a CIA CIA analyst uh, called Osborne Cox. Um, You've got Brad Pitt and Francis McDormand playing uh, uh, gym trainers, I suppose, gym enthusiasts. They work at a, a gym called Hard Bodies, which is just hilarious in itself. Um, Tilda Swinton plays a paediatrician married to Osborne Cox and you've got George Clooney who I think he's a PI like a, a, he's a sex addicted PI yeah yeah, um, you could say that yeah so he's, he's on all these dating apps and stuff uh, yeah so basically the film starts with Osborne Cox being fired uh, from his job in the CIA and then he has a sort of crisis of meaning um, tells everyone to to fuck off basically and then uh begins to write a, a memoir or as uh, what he how john malkovich says it in the in the film a memoir when he drops the r <laughs> drop, yeah drops the r which is just hilarious anyway he starts recording his memoirs on a disc and then the disc is lost and it's found by uh 
Brad Pitt's character and Francis McDormand's character uh, in him, and they mistake it. They mistake the secret leaked CIA files, and they end up giving uh, these files to the cultural attaché at the Russian embassy, <laughs> and they give it to the Russians. Um, and it's just it, it's 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 just absolutely hilarious. And the 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 film then sort of goes through all the different uh, scenarios of what's happened to all these different characters based on uh, Cox's memoir, I suppose. Um, George Clooney's character is actually sleeping with uh, Osborne Cox's wife, played by Tilda Swinton. He's also sleeping with uh, Francis McDormand's character, who when they meet online, um, as J.K. Simmons says, in they all seem to be sleeping with one another. Um, which is just fantastic. Uh, so basically, <laughs> it's a series of separate characters, but they all all leave it living separate lives, but they all end up becoming intertwined. And the the sort of the linchpin in all of this is is Cox's memoir, I suppose. You got in there about a hundred times the detail that I would have done in my uh, synopsis. So I'm sure the audience would be very grateful for that. But straight away, what I'm going to pick up on there are two things that I. Uh, was really caught by by this story's first when you're talking about John Malkovich's character at the beginning he's there he gets sacked and he's about to write his memoir but there's a great build up in that scene of like the first 10 15 minutes of where there's a lovely bit of intrigue just pumped into it because it's filmed and the story and the acting is very mysterious you don't really know what's happening but straight away you're put into CIA, you know there's a bit of mystery there, a bit of intrigue, so it's a great start. But his character, I mean, him as an actor, loves loves to play someone who's a bit mysterious and you don't know what's going on. <coughs> I need to, sorry, I need to pause. My voice is gone. <coughs> One second, pause it there, pause it there. As I was saying before, my voice nearly uh, gave up on me, Callum, is that I love the kind of intrigue they set at the beginning. <laughs> John Malkovich's character. Maybe I could play a character with my voice in that situation in a Coen Brothers film. <laughs> but um, yeah, John Malkovich's character, he loves playing these kind of mysterious uh, characters. And I think at the beginning, it definitely gives that vibe. So you're sucked into what is going to be a deep story. But then the beauty of the whole plot is it's always one step ahead of you as the person watching it. The audience cannot keep up with what's going. Even though you can follow the plot and you kind of understand what's going on. Like I said to you earlier, is that if somebody stopped it halfway through and said to me, what has happened here? I'd find it very difficult straight away to explain exactly what has happened in the story. And I feel that's quite the joy of this film. Is like, yes, the pace is fast, but it's not necessarily the pace of it. It's just the layers of things that are going on, which really, you know, smother you but in a very exciting and interesting way. And it's not like the film goes deeper and deeper. It's almost still keeps on this same kind of shallow level of plots, which are kind of all linked together, but no real depth goes all the way through them. But then they are all tied up by one thing at the end. And I think there's something quite beautiful to that, just being thrown in loads of different directions. You get a plot where you think it's going to lead you somewhere. And then you get another one where you think it's going to lead. You think, okay, surely these are all going to link up soon. And then another one, another one. And then they suddenly all close off. And then the main story comes and loops back around again. And then at the end of it, you kind of realize, oh, all this madness has happened. But it didn't really affect the main story of him doing his memoir. And nothing's really changed at the end of it. And I feel like a lot of people might not enjoy that style. But for me, 
I just loved that kind of excitement of the pace, the way that it flips your mind about. Like, you're flying through, it's only a 90-minute film, and you, your brain's flicking in different directions all the way. But yet, at the end of it, there's still closure, but in a kind of, oh, really, kind of way. And like I said, maybe not everyone's taste, but I kind of like that, because it's, it's a very different style. But for that, I thought the plot was cool. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree, absolutely. Um, it's kind of a, a classic Coen Brothers... Um uh, technique that to have all these different uh, stories being intertwined with one another um it's a similar sort of format in the the ballad of buster scruggs which uh we've done a podcast about as well yeah uh, head just, back and uh, check that one out after this just uh yeah just just putting that out there the ballad of buster scruggs that we have done a podcast about that <laughs> in the past so you should definitely check it out um but yeah so <laughs> shameless plug there shameless plug. we've got to do we've got to um, do the plugs and uh, we're now on spotify as well so if you don't have access to itunes get yourself on spotify to listen to glass a film club now there we go shameless plugs done <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah the, the sort of the the versatile the the plot's quite versatile i suppose um in the sense that it like you said, it, it flicks between different stories, but they're all sort of unified in a way by by the end of the film. Anyway, the thing that struck me about the plot, it's I, I actually think it's a critique of uh, white America, if I'm honest. Um, well, hit me, hit me. Yeah. So basically, all the characters, I mean, they're all fairly successful, and they're sort of uh, moving around the suburbs of uh, Washington D.C., and they're all. Well, at least they think they are. They all think that they're relatively important. Um, you've got uh, Osborne Cox, who's this CIA analyst who went to Princeton, and there's that scene when he's uh, at one of his Princeton reunion dinners in his bow tie, and he's sort of singing and drinking, only to find out uh, later that his wife is leaving him and his, his apparent importance isn't what it was. The fact that he's... Uh, recording a memoir as well highlights the yeah. the the arrogance and the the how self-absorbed that, that that those those communities are I suppose with their own sense of sense of place I mean it, the the plot itself it's all about vanity isn't it I mean every single character is obsessed with what other people think of them yeah. Cox for example uh, quite eloquently refers to uh, the public as a, a league of morons which I kind of I do kind of I I could see yeah I I go exactly where he's coming from for sure Uh, yeah sort of you know moronic people the moronic public Um, but then you've got got obviously got the the hard bodies characters I just love the fact that the gym's called hard bodies it's (laughs) so funny Um, well like you said about the public the perception of people like the fact that two of the main characters work in a gym and one of them is trying to get plastic surgery you know that's that's the kind of Indeed. physical representation of this thing that's going on amongst all the characters is that oh they Indeed. want perception they want credibility but they're just kind of finding the place in a society which is just placeholders for the next people to go in without actually making any real impact yeah i think they're quite bored as well the characters i mean yeah. um sort of george clooney's character in particular i mean he's constantly having to reinvent himself and it, the, the i think it's quite a subtle point but it's something that happens twice in the film. Uh, he takes George Clooney takes uh, his dates. Said, no, wait, no, it's not George Clooney. It's uh, it, it's George Clooney's character and uh, Francis McDormand's character go yep. and see the same film uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. coming up for Daisy. And it's uh, it's what's the quote from the film? They go, 
um, oh, will you come down from there? And then the whole audience, the whole cinema erupts in laughter. And I do think that is the Coen brothers taking the mick out of mass consumption yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like sort of, oh, they've gone to see this like really, really bad, objectively speaking, bad film and uh, with you no know, substance or no depth to it. And everyone's just laughing at a meaningless sentence. Um, and it's the way they laugh as well. It's sort of uh, uncontrollable, like snorting laughter that the, the audience has towards this film that they're watching in the cinema. It's such a, a subtle uh, little part of the film, a tiny part of the film, but has such a huge impact. And the, the plot weaves around all those different critiques yep. of mass consumerism, uh, white America, etc. Except it is quite a dark comedy, but at the same time, it's not. It doesn't lose itself in how mm-hmm. serious in, in 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 those serious um, ideas. I honestly think the Coen Brothers just wanted to. I mean, you think about the rest of their catalog. You got Burn After, uh, not Burn After. You got uh, No Country for Old Men, for example, a really really dark, bleak film, and to suddenly then go into Burn After Reading. I think it they must have been quite relieved to have a bit of fun with their writing. Yeah, I suppose definitely because um, they know yeah. how to throw it about, don't they? They can get really dark when they want to. The Coen Brothers. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh, like gotcha. Fargo, like gotcha. yeah, yeah. Even though that's pretty comedic, like that's a dark film. It's heavy watching. Mm. Yeah, um, indeed. But anyway, I just want to pick up what you said. Like, I really like where you went uh, with that point, and I think you're Bob on where you said it's like a representation of white America, but all the characters are bored in there, and it's just weaving around their lives as they're trying to get a bit of importance. And I think this is. I was. I thought similar to that not as elaborate as the point you made, but I was thinking something along the lines of when they go to the the guy who's like top brass in the military and he's played by the guy who's in Whiplash. So, J.K. J. Simmons. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they keep flashing back to him and he's got someone reporting back to him and who's following all these people who are involved in it because obviously the yeah. Russian embassy are involved and stuff. And they're just kind of like... All right, we just need this solving. Oh, is he di- oh, he's got killed, has he? Oh, yeah, that's fine. All right, so at least he's out of it now. He's like, oh, no, but this person's still alive. And what info do they have? It's like, okay. Oh, yeah, you can kill them, though. And then it's just like, they don't really care what's going on. And there's no long-term strategy. There's no value coming out of it. They just know that this little thing's come up, which isn't really important, which makes a point in itself. But somehow it's got to their level and it's all a matter of just making sure everything's dealt with straight away. No real thought about it. Just keeping the status quo as the status quo so they can keep position. Nothing really impacts anything. And if people die along the way, that's fine. And I think that's part of that, what you're saying, idea of this boredom of the the, the go-to kind of life in America mm. is that even the people who are running the place have no real view of what's going on. They're just there to get on with it, get through it, better their own position. There's no value to anything. He's not doing it for a higher purpose. He's not in the military to like, oh, we can change the world for a, to be a better place. I'm just doing it because I want this position. And at the end of the day, I don't really want to be here. I just want to get on with it and go home. So even though this, we always come back to this phrase, the American dream is thoroughly alive within the things that they're doing, like going out on dates, going to cinemas, going to the gym, being the military, having guns. None of them actually really want to do what they're doing. They're bored. Everyone's bored. They're just getting through it. There's no meaning in their life. And I think I'm really glad you got us onto that because when you look at it, and like I said at the beginning, the plot, just loop round at the end to 
it wasn't all that important anyway what went on. Most of the people got killed and nothing really changed. And that's just links into that big metaphor of the lifestyle of America that is um that the Cohen brothers are depicting is like that's kind of that it's just a day-to-day getting by doing all this useless rubbish just so we can get through another day and say we've done it um and I think yeah I agree with what you said and for me that's that's what I got out of it so I, th- I think that's a very good summary there someone take that put that into a snippet itself and get it on a Cohen brothers fan page that's bob on what good teamwork there Callum I think we've done a good one Let's transition into actors and characters. <laughs> we've said that we've said there's some big actors in this, yeah, and also big characters. Like some of the characters are ridiculous in it. Who stands out for you, um, either character or actor or the combination of the both? Oh, I mean, uh, I mean, they all they're, they're all fantastic, aren't they? I mean, the cast mm-hmm. is just is just brilliant. I mean, even Tilda Swinton, the um, is 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 brilliant. The Oh, it's just she's like this sort of aggressive pediatrician. I mean, there's the scene when um, she's trying to get that kid to swallow a, a pill, and she's like, <laughs> yeah. "You're going to do it. You're going to do it." It's quite funny. His <laughs> mouth slammed shut. Indeed, yeah. I do what the doctor tells you. Indeed. Uh, for me, I mean, I, I love Osborne Cox's character. Um, yeah. I mean that that I mean, but then I get uh, I don't know. I, I okay. So my my favorite characters are Osborne Cox and. Uh, uh, Brad Pitt's character, his name escapes me now. Uh, oh, Blimenek, what's he called? Can't remember. Uh, but those those two characters are, for me are, are the best. Osborne Cox because he's just, I mean, he's just ridiculous. I mean, he walks around in like a little bow tie, um, and he's just so angry. And I kind of, I just like his. Uh, likes the wrong words. I mean, but his anger in particular certainly resonates with me. I mean, mm-hmm. there's that scene when he's. Um, uh, arguing with the his checking account uh person at the bank on the phone and he's just like quaffing bourbon and he's like he's screaming <laughs> yeah. he's like moron moron oh. there's some great arguments in it, isn't it because when yeah. uh brad pitt's character gets in the car with him and he like really goes oh, in on him so and on the phone yeah. as well and yeah. john malkovich's voice is so good like i yeah. think his voice is amazing he should do a podcast if he doesn't already do one because i can listen to that voice because yeah. he captures such an intensity um but also a terror in his voice but yeah. then there's that intrigue that there's just the tone of his voice makes you think there's something more behind that. And that, yes, that is, yeah. that is a good point you make there. There's some fantastic arguments in it. And um, that's all because of his character. Brad Pitt's character as well. I just I just love how ridiculous his character is. As well. that, that, yeah. that, I mean, because I mean, Brad Pitt is such a versatile actor, but I think he does comedy really, really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going like, to say for me, that was a standout performance from Brad Pitt. He was my favorite in it. And yeah. that was because... It was seeing Brad Pitt in this style that you don't normally expect. Okay, he's done films where he does comedy, but he's so committed to the role. Yeah. Is that yeah. he plays this like really funny, but he captures the kind of mindset of he's slightly low intelligence, but he's got ambition uh, well above his station. This guy, he's, he's fairly young and youthful, but just the energy in it, this kind of like weirdly juvenile yeah. energy. Um, and it comes across so well, and I think physically the acting in it's great. Like, because he is this guy from the gym, and the way that he holds himself, and he's he kind of yeah. the exercise. Yeah, like that stood out. And 
even though all the characters in it are a little bit quirky and strange, his just visual performance for me like really grabbed me and invested me in his character, which then gets put against this real seriousness and depth of John Malkovich's. But they're both just as weird and kind of intrigue, intriguing and in self-interested as each other, but in mm. totally different ways. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, I've just thought of something, actually. I, I think the characters... It kind of it kind of le- leads on to what you were talking about earlier, about the uh, the lack of depth to their their jobs and, and mm-hmm. their lives. They're quite mechanical characters, yeah. aren't they? I mean, they're, they're they're obsessed with movement and process. So, like Brad Pitt's character is all about staying active and staying healthy. Um, that's his process. Uh, mm-hmm. John Malkovich's character, Osborne Cox, is obsessed with the idea of routine and process. I mean, he was a CIA analyst, for example. Um, and there's the bit when George Clooney ends up building that. <laughs> that really, that um, mechanical... It's unbelievable, isn't mechanical it? Mechanical sex machine. Yeah, a mechanical sex machine. And it, it's like a seat and it's just like this dildo going up and down. It's <laughs> like, just unbelievable. I love like, the whole grandeur of it as time yeah. spends on it. And like pretty good bit of engineering and then the shot is just this one dildo just bouncing up and down it's, it's, it's just some, it's just so funny and I, even then it. i think the, the even the, the mechanical nature of sex at this point as well yeah yeah yeah, like, yeah. It's, 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 it's just such a an astute like sort of technique that the coen brothers have tapped into there like the, 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 this mechanical dick it's <laughs> basically combined juxtaposed with the uh, the mechanisms of the state, for example, with the CIA trying to track down all, all the what's going on. You've got yep. the even the the. I mean, Frances McDormand as character, she's having her body mechanically changed. Yeah. Um, using machines, and it's 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 definitely a critique of the sort of modern capitalist age. I think that coming to something. The more I talk about it, the more uh, the more layers I I think about there is that there is to the film, but um. Yeah, me- mechanics plays a huge role. Mechanical sex, mechanical people, mechanical lives. Um, the characters all sort of follow that mechani- those mechanisms. Bob on, Bob on. And I'd say the only real and genuine character in it is the guy who runs the gym. Ah, yeah, who's absolutely. In, who's yeah. in love with um, the woman who's getting... This is, I need to learn characters' actual names when we do these <laughs> discussions. <laughs> but the woman who's getting the plastic surgery Francis, done... Francis McDormand's character. Yes, he's in love with her and then the film ends basically with him getting involved with her dirty work and getting shot for it. Indeed, Um, Doing something that he really doesn't believe in, doesn't want to, but the only pure emotion in it is he genuinely in love with her and he's the only person who really expresses any kind of pure emotion, anything deeper than a selfishness um, through it all. Like It's a selfless act. Even other people who put themselves on the line, like Brad Pitt's character puts himself on the line and gets killed, but it's to make himself some money. Um, so he's the only one who does something for someone else. Great overview there, I think, of the characters and actors. Let's quickly move on. I know you wanted to talk about this, but the comedy of the film. Mm. What would you say, The co- is this a comedy-driven film and what kind of style does it come across in as? I think... Um... Because on reflection, thinking about the different layers of the critique that the film addresses, such as re- critique of the states, white America and stuff, I feel like the comedy, the dark comedy works because in order to critique something like that, you've got to kind of go to the absurd because the nature mm. of the sort of 
particularly the the nature of Western capitalism is in itself absurd, really. When you when you when you unpack the, what it is and and the effects that it has on people. So the comedy for me is the driving force of the film. It's in many ways it's what makes you think about um, the society that the Coen brothers are are addressing. Really, um, I mean for me the, the funniest scene. Is the funniest scene is in the car when uh, Brad Pitt and John Malkovich are having that argument. But the funniest bit is when George Clooney is chopping carrots in 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 the uh, in the in the in the in the kitchen, Um, and Tilda Swinton's like, "Oh, you you okay, darling? You look distracted." And he's like, "Why do you have to be always so negative?" And then he storms off, grabs his sex wedge from upstairs <laughs> and then storms out the house as if that's the one belonging he has and it's just so yeah, it's his just, treasured possession his sex wedge is his most important thing and it's just the way he stu- <laughs> stumbles around this massive mansion of a house with this <laughs> foam st- sex wedge it's absolutely hilarious it's so funny but again it's it, it's again it's it's critiquing the absurdity of suburbia isn't it i suppose the fact that those these people are so bored they have to resort to these insane um sort of sexual uh activities i mean the fact that everyone's uh i mean it's what it's what the, the cia say i mean they all they all appear to be sleeping with one another um yeah yeah, yeah. it's just it's just, it's really really funny um but yeah com- comedy but drives you- it it does yeah yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it's a kind of change of tone from the other Coen Brothers films, even though it has got a bit of darkness to it. You know, there's, the comedy drives it forward. And for me, it's like, it's pretty bizarre, the comedy. And the fact that makes it even more bizarre is that you've got these absolute Hollywood A-listers yeah. playing these mad characters. That adds to it so absolutely. much. And I love that. Like, this cast could easily have been in just like a Hollywood blockbuster film. Mm. But they're in this film playing these characters that are so not them. And it's just, that adds to it. And the the comedy throughout it is bizarre. The physical performances, the characters, the things that happen. And that's what I love about it. It throws it in a different direction. And, you know, you've got comedy that's not of the norm. And we'll get into that in a minute and how it fits into comedy of that era. Mm. But um, for me, the funniest scene is when they're on the phone to uh, John Malkovich's character first oh, telling yeah, him that, yeah. they've, <laughs> that they've got this information. And so Brad Pitt's character's putting the voice on and he's obsessed with this idea of being a good Samaritan. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the line is when he says to her, he goes, before he gets on the phone, I'd be very surprised if um, we didn't get a reward out of this. Yeah. So he rings him up, absolutely gets out of hand, big argument, puts the phone out and he says something like, I am very surprised we didn't get a reward out of that. It's just like he was so hell-bent on this idea that they were definitely going to get a reward out of it. It, The comedy, that was fantastic. But that was quite a pivotal part in the film because that spurs them on to take it further off the back of the argument. But for me, that scene was hilarious because then she gets involved with the phone call as well and it all blows out of proportion. Um, but that was fantastic. But yeah, I thought the comedy was brilliant. It really does drive it. And the fact that it is this spin on the conventional is really represented by the fact that you've got these Hollywood A-listers playing these characters, which is so bizarre. Um, so that takes us on to what I wanted to kick on to was a bit of the wider theme, but something that you mentioned to me of saying like, so this film's from 2008 in the midst of a lot of big American comedies yeah. that are coming out. 
And for me, this film visually felt very much of that era. Like, there's a lot of, not purposeful product placement, but like the kind of phones that they've got and the cars and the the style of shooting. It's just that the finish on the film looks like a, a 2008 any, like Hollywood blockbuster, which is a little bit of a sickly feeling when you see it because it feels like baseless. But I think that's the point of it. It's meant to feel like a film of that time when it's glorifying these kind of, you know, these classic American ideals of luxury and sex in the city stuff. Um, But actually there's all this like weirdness going underneath. That's the true sign of these people who look pristine, who are Jim Goers, who like George Cooney is um, a PI, good looking guy, but like they're actually all messed up and weird apart from the usual look you'd get from these films. What was it you wanted to say about that? Because I know you had a few thoughts about that as well. Yeah, I mean, the, it, placing that film in the context of 2008 as well, like you've got this sort of... I remember watching loads of American comedies and when I, when I, was, when I was younger and it just seemed to be dominated by sort of the Owen Wilsons, the, the Vince Vaughn, uh, the Judd Apatow sort of American, like, you know, imbeciles like uh, yeah, yeah, buffoonish yeah, yeah. sort of comedy like completely ridiculous comedy it's like as if that that could never happen yeah. um whereas one one thing that i do think that the coen brothers the, the, the burn after reading does really really well is that it sits alongside these big american comedies like you said visually like you look like it could have been like a, a hollywood sort of um big hollywood production like one of these apatow comedies with vince vaughn or owen wilson or whatever in but it it, I think it humanizes the uh, the the imbeciles in the film. I think. Yeah. The one yeah. thing that the one thing I mean, I, you know, Judd Apatow is a fantastic writer, but one thing that those American, those sort of quintessential American comedies do is that they go to the extreme where it's so ridiculous that it's thing, oh, that could never happen. And even though mm. there are some pretty absurd moments in Burn After Reading, it you're still left wondering, oh, this could actually happen to you because the base the baseline of it is, I mean everyone's getting a divorce that's the sort of a, a key trait of modern life sometimes it would for, for some people um you know you're trying you're obsessed with body image you go to extreme lengths to improve how you look with people and in this mm-hmm. instance it's plastic surgery plastic surgery um is huge in the u.s um it humanizes the absurdity of it i think where and that comedy burn after reading sitting alongside all those other american comedies of the time I think it stands out to me as um, there's a lot more nuance to it, I think. Um, And I think putting a comedy like Burn After Reading out in 2008, surrounded with the context of those sort of Apatow comedies and even, even, you know, the the, sort of the the Paul Rudd type of stuff in a way. I mean, I love Paul Rudd. Um, if you're listening, Paul. Yeah, Paul. If, you, if, you're, if you're listening, we could do a whole episode of some Paul. If you're listening, Paul, I, I'm a huge fan, huge fan. Um, however, moving swiftly on, uh, sitting in the context of of that, I think the the film as it finds its place. I think within that arena yeah. of comedy. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I think that's very nicely put. We're going to wrap up here because we've been going for about a half an hour. I think we've covered some really good stuff and stuff I didn't expect to cover, mm. um, which is fantastic. I've learned stuff about the film I didn't know um, just from this conversation, so thank you for diving into that with me. Before we do fully wrap up, I'd just like to give our kind of highlights of the film and then also a mark out of 10. So I'll start. I'll finish us off with this. 
Um, like I said, even though it is a bit bizarre and the plot dives in loads of different directions to ultimately be ended with um, a kind of dissatisfaction of nothing really did happen or change in the end, I'd loved, for me, the standout for it, the thing that I most enjoyed was the bit that I said before, was like you've got these big Hollywood actors in a film which is actually so not them. And that gives you such an unusual feeling seeing them in this comedy scenario. The comedy was fantastic. Like, you can't not be engrossed by the plot because you absolutely fly through it. Um, but it's so interesting to see that. And like we have discovered, you know, there is a bit of an underlying point to it. And it kind of puts this image in front of you. And I think now we've discussed that, I realise why it feels uncomfortable and strange. Because it's putting a classic image in front of you of this American film, which you normally expect. But there's actually th- different things going on than you'd normally expect. And it's messed up people rather than messed up actions. Mm. Um, and I think that is actually more real life, even though it does feel bizarre. People are more messed up in the mind than they are in the physical actions. So I think that came through really well. And just on a very simple point, it was just a great watch. You're engrossed, a great an hour and a half. And I thought the comedy was fantastic. Um, for me, it was an 8 out of 10. The reason it doesn't go up any higher is because I feel like it was a really good watch. It was very enjoyable, but I could have just taken a little bit more of the extra closure at the end. And because as much as I like that setting, I feel like you get the kind of uh, blueprint of that in a film like The Big Lebowski and other Coen Brothers stuff. So even though, yeah, it's a nice technique, it's like, okay, maybe they could have thrown me in a different direction. But overall, 8 out of 10, I thought it was very good. What about you, Callum? Um, my standout moment was the uh, the final scene when uh, John Malkovich breaks into his house and he's wearing a dressing gown. Bearing in mind, he's walked from his yacht that he's staying in yeah. with an axe and a box. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's just, and he just walks down the street with an axe wearing his boxes and a dressing gown, hacks his way into his old house that his wife has now kicked him out of. And he finds... Uh, the manager of hard bodies trying to help out uh find out what happened to brad pitt after he after he mm-hmm. gets shot um spoiler alert but um it's the bit where he says uh i have been dealing with morons like you my entire life you're in a league of morons and i just think it's um those two sentences for me i think are just fantastic even though <laughs> even though malkovich represents arguably a lot of things that's wrong with america um it that those two lines are just for me the standout of the film it's just so funny it's just the way he says it how it's delivered by malkovich as well the fact that he's got an axe in his hand and then and then he hacks and he hacks him to death he's like i've been dealing with morons like you <laughs> my entire life and then hacks him to death with an axe so funny <laughs> on um, the street indeed yeah just outside his house on the street so yeah that was my that was the standout moment for me i'd give it i really i love burn after reading it's up there with one of my favorite films i'd give it um uh, 10 out of 10 only because I'm a li- it was the first Coen Brothers film I ever saw okay. um, and the first time I saw it I was just like yeah I'm sold this is fantastic so for me mm-hmm. even though um, it's actually not actually it's not one of, it's not actually liked by a lot of Coen Brothers fans it's their least favourite oh, really? uh, film apparently yeah, um, amongst the Coen Brothers community I suppose um, the fan community so they don't like it which again I, always, I also think that's one, another reason why I like it just a little bit more um, mm-hmm. just because you know uh, a film that sort of the underdog isn't it I suppose um, but yeah 
Brilliant. Well, thank you for rounding it off. I'm glad that we watched a film that uh, was one of your favourites as well. You know, you got the enjoyment out of it, so did I, um, and a good film to review for our comeback onto the Glacé Film Club. Well, we'll round it off there. Great chat. We've dived into, of course, we got quite deep and found some uh, wider themes. What else would we expect? But I think we've had a good chat and we're ready to dive into some more very soon. So you enjoy your rest of your week, Callum. I will. Thank you very Watch much. Some more. Keep watching films and we'll chat again very, very soon. Thank you very much.